this morning. We'll take our Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6, continuing right along. And um, after last service, I had a few people, the sermon went a little long last service. It's only four verses. How long could it go, right? That was my thought. And so a couple of people were like, you probably could have broke that up into like three different messages. I probably could have. And so you say, so now are you going to break it up into three so we get to, no, there's no service coming in after you, so we'll get through, I'll take an hour and a half and just do the whole thing. Just seeing, some of you aren't even listening to me. I, was, I said that to see, I, when I look out and then some of you give me that smirk, I know you're listening. Then some of you, you're not even listening to what I say. And that's, that's how it goes. I get that. Pastor gets up to start preaching. It's Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. That's what you hear. And some of you, the next thing I hear is the, and you're just out. And so Hebrews chapter number six. Now my message this morning as I go through, this is not going to be a typical preaching sermon for me. This is going to be, it's going to be a teachy sermon today. And so I'm not always teachy on a Sunday morning because some of you don't stay awake long enough for me to be teachy, right Juan? And so he goes with me to the rescue missions on Tuesday and I basically have to yell the entire time just to keep him awake. That's why I do it. And so, and the microphone doesn't work very good. But in this passage here, there are many struggles that many Christians have had because of these verses. And there are many different people that have many different thoughts about these verses and all of that. And what we're going to do today is we're just going to take the Bible and what it says, and we're going to see what God's Word says and put these verses in context. And by the time we leave here this morning, in about two hours, I'm hoping you'll know a little bit better, maybe 45. I'm hoping you'll have a better understanding of what this is talking about. Many Christians, you wouldn't believe the phone calls I will get at times. Pastor, I just don't know if I'm saved. Or they're living in sin. Like, Pastor, I don't think I got saved. I need to get saved again. I have conviction from God about this sin, but I need to get saved again. That doesn't really make sense to have God's conviction and to say you need to get saved all over again. I believe, according to God's word, the Bible is very clear that once you're saved, you are always saved. A lot of people don't have that belief. And a lot of times they will take verses that are found here and apply it to that. And so we're going to answer some tough questions this morning. And I hope that by the time I'm done, I will have answered these tough questions for you. And if you need help with it even more, I will point you to someone who's more smarter than I am and let them help you out. Hebrews 6 verse 4 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto whose end is to be burned. Now, those are loaded verses there. We're going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to give you some thoughts that people think this is saying. 
and then I'm going to give you what the Bible says it's saying here this morning. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have, and I pray you guide us and help us. And help me to be clear as I speak this morning, especially through this passage, and that I would answer more, that I would answer the questions and not bring more questions into someone's mind, but actually give a good, thorough description here, because many Christians struggle when it comes to this passage. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are those that look at this passage and say it's telling you that you can lose your salvation. And so, and those that follow that have the idea that at some point in your life you get saved, and then as you sin in your life, you fall away, get away from the Lord. Apostasy is what it's called, and we'll talk more about this in a few minutes. And then, but as you go through your life, you can get saved again, and that can happen over and over again. And that's the progression. And you die that you're saved. So every other minute, you're insecure. Am I saved? Am I not saved? So let's first look at that one and see if that fits this passage. So look at chapter number 6. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the heavenly ghost of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. So let's say someone is under the belief that you get saved, you can lose your salvation, but then you can get it back. There are a lot of people that believe that. If that is true, then this verse, these verses don't help that case. Because literally, you see the fact that, so these people that were once enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they're partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So, all, so they say that they're saved. Now, if they shall fall away, if they leave the Lord, it says to renew them again to repentance. Look at the first phrase. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. So if someone loses their salvation, if that's what the verse is saying, if you lose your salvation, it is impossible to gain it back. So those that believe that you can have salvation, lose it, and gain it back are not following what the verse even says. Because it says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. So if you lost your salvation, you'd be lost forever and could never get it back. If you follow that school of thought, which I wouldn't follow that school of thought. Another thought that is here is the fact that these people were almost saved, but not saved. And that's why they fell away, because if you were truly saved, you wouldn't fall away from the Lord. That's another train of thought that comes from this passage. But let's look at what it says again. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Now, later on in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Christ died once for all. It has the idea of once being once all that's needed. Once enlightened. And look at what happens. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They're made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance. So those that say that they were not saved, they were close, use this passage. So, but, and that's where I could see them using it a little bit maybe. So they said they've tasted the heavenly gift. So it's like they put it in their, they took the In-N-Out cheeseburger, took a bite, chewed it, tasted it a little bit, and then spit it out. That's literally what they're trying to say. The only problem is, it says that they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That means a sharer of the Holy Ghost. 
So this passage can in no way be speaking about someone who is almost saved. The passage is for those that are saved. This is a saved person talking about. Let's think in context for a minute. The whole book of Hebrews to this point, was it written to unbelievers or to save people? People. This is something for us. Context last week, if you remember, instead of continuing on about Melchizedek, the author hears like you have a, you're dull of hearing and you cannot, you're, you're not skillful in God's word, you're not ready for the meat, and you still need the milk. Instead of being ready to teach people, you need people to keep teaching you, and you're repeating, you're basically never getting anywhere. So let me just help you this morning. That's what it, that happens to a lot of Christians. We think we grow in the Christian life, and then we get stagnant, and we stay there. It never happens that way. We're either growing or backsliding. There is no middle ground with the two. And what we got to understand is this is what happens in a lot of believers' lives. Not all, but some. They get saved. They grow. At some point when you're going to stop to backslide. And some people, the honeymoon stage could be a couple years. Some people, the honeymoon stage is six months. Somewhere in the Christian life, something's going to happen where you stop growing. But we don't stay right here. This is what we do. When Peter messed up, he was growing. And then he went back to his old life. And then he, this is what happens to a lot of Christians. We get saved, we grow to here. We backslide. We grow to here. We backslide. Grow to here. And you never get past the elementary stages of Christianity and the baby stage because you think you're growing. And you technically are going back and forth, but you're never progressing. You're not moving on to maturity. Well, how it should be as we get saved, we grow. We backslide. It's going to happen. But then as we grow, we get past the point of growth we were at last time. And then we backslide again. But then we grow and get past that point where we were before, and we keep moving on in our Christian life. That's where most of us get stuck. We only get to a certain point, and then we keep bouncing back and forth here. And it's no wonder you have doubts if you're even saved or what's going on in your life because you aren't getting past those elementary things. And you need to move forward for God. And it would be awesome if we just grew our whole life and we never had any setbacks. But that's not real life. It's not. We have an old nature in us. It's going to go forward and backwards, forward and backwards. That's just a part of it. It's like a roller coaster ride. Sometimes you're going way up. Sometimes you might be going back down pretty fast. Sometimes it stays pretty even. And so as we look at this passage, this passage is clearly for believers. It's a saved person. So then the question comes into light, a couple of thoughts. Can a saved person, number one question today that I'm going to try to answer, number one, question number one, and I know it's way down there, can a Christian really know they're saved forever? Because some look at this verse, and they see verse number six where it says, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance it, if they fall away. And you think, well, I'm secure in, the, in God's hand, right? Well, what if I fall away? The big problem with that verse is the fact, there is no problem with the verse. The problem with our understanding of the verse is there are two different words that are used for fall away. You know how the Bible tells us that in the last days there's going to be a falling away? That word for falling away in the last days, that falling away that happens is where the word apostasy comes from. That means they leave Christ. 
Can a child of God leave Christ? No, you cannot. So the falling away that happens towards the end are those that are almost saved, and the churches are full of them, where they're almost there, or they think they are, and they think they're good works and all these things are getting them there, and they're going to fall away. This word here in verse 6 is not apostasy. It's a different word used twice in the entire Bible. Parapito is the word. Say parapito? Yes, I'll explain it to you in a minute. But a lot of times that word gets mixed up. Because you've got to understand, the Bible wasn't written in English. Do you realize that today? I remember a while back, we had a teenager, so sincere. I was doing a Bible study with the teenagers, and I mentioned something in Greek, and he was like, Jesus didn't speak English? And he was blown away and really hurt inside that Jesus didn't speak English. He really thought Jesus spoke English. But when you have different languages, words are different. And so to us, it looks the same, fall away, fall away, but there's a difference. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Can a Christian really know that they're saved forever? The answer is yes. Say, well, how do you know that? I'm going to help you this morning, and then we'll dive further. First thing, though, is I want to make sure you understand something. Like I said, this is way more of a teaching message today. This is not me spitting and hollering all over the place. This is more teachy today. And some people like the teachiness. This is not my forte, but you should be able to do it as a pastor. And so what, So if we're going to talk about a, can a Christian really know that they're saved, what is a true Christian? You've got to begin there. Because if you're sitting here today and you're not truly saved, I don't want to give you a false hope in my message this morning. What I want is those who are truly saved to have assurance in their heart that they're truly saved. So what is salvation? Salvation, the Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us are good. Say, well, I try to do good. We do try, right? But we don't always do the right thing. Never have, never will as long as we live in this life. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin has consequences. It's like you go drive fast down the road, you take a risk of having some consequences of fine, whatever the case may be. And life, it's full of consequences, right? We're raising a generation that doesn't want the consequences for the things that they don't do right. And it's crazy to me. There are consequences for sin. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what our sin deserves. We also live in a day and age where everyone feels entitled, right? I, I, I'm owed this. The other day I was at the rescue mission down there, and this lady came in. She's like, I need, a, I need a new blanket now. She just walked in and said that to the guy running the mission. The guy's like, we have one blanket that we just washed, and it's in a bag. You can have it. That's an old blanket. I, don't, I need a new blanket now. Like, just the entitlement. The blanket was washed. It was clean. It would work. I don't know who wants a blanket when it's 100 degrees outside either, but she wanted a blanket. We live where everyone feels entitled. The only thing you and I really deserve is hell. Let's be honest this morning. God has been merciful and gracious to us. And so we're all sinners. There's a penalty on sin. God loved us so much that he gave us his son, and he died for us while we were sinners. And Christ took our place. You've got to understand something. Man had to die for man's sins, but none of us were ever perfect to die for our own sins. God didn't sin. Man did, and God cannot sin. So how in the world could the sins of mankind be paid for? 
God and man had to come together in Jesus Christ. And he died for the sins of the world. He took the wrath of God on him so that you and I could have eternal life. And the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There was a day in your life probably where the Spirit of God, God, God is the one who works on us. And the Spirit of God works on our heart. And as we, as we look at that and we think about that fact, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And being dead in our trespasses and sins, the gift of grace and faith that God gives us helps us so that we can get saved. And what is salvation? It's trusting in Jesus and in him alone. A lot of people trust in their church, trust in their baptism, trust in their good works. Our good works, I mentioned the rescue mission a few minutes ago. Every time I drive the streets of that area in L.A., I always look at all the garbage on the side of the road. And I'm like, really, in all reality, the best I could give God is that garbage on the side of the road. You must trust him. Salvation is trusting Jesus who he says he is. If you're trusting in anyone but Jesus, there is no way to heaven. He is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by him. So as we look here this morning and we think about that fact, can a believer... Can a Christian really know that they're saved forever? The answer is yes. You say, why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. When we look down, so you say, well, what if I fall away? Well, look at verse 6. If they shall fall away. I mentioned that word fall away is not apostasy. Apostasy means to leave Christ. As a child of God, you cannot leave Jesus. So you might walk away a little bit, but he's still there. That word parapeto, what it literally means, it means to stumble. How many of you in the Christian life have ever stumbled? Yeah. How many of you have ever sinned before, backslid a little bit, stumbled? That is what this verse is talking about. A great example of this for a believer, I think of Judas and I think about Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus, right? And when he betrayed Jesus, he did feel bad at the end, didn't he? He tried to return the money. But did he turn to the Lord? No. He went and hung himself. In all reality, Judas tried to pay his own debt for what he did. And in reality, he is still burning in hell today, paying his own debt forever because he did it his way. Did Peter, so we look at him, he rejected God. That's what Judas did. Apostasy. Peter, I'll never deny you, Lord. Never. He stumbles. Parapito. Does he return? He does. Does it take some time? Does he bring shame to the Lord? Yes. By the way he was living? That's what verse, the end of verse 6 is about, which we'll get there in a few minutes. The difference is, this is not talking about leaving God. This is about stumbling. Falling away say, well, how, how do I truly know that I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved forever? Well, do you know the rest of the chapter later on, Hebrews chapter 6, you look down a few verses with me. Look at what it says in verse 13, I believe, is where it starts there. It says, look at verse 13, is it there on the screen? For when God made promise to Abraham, 
because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, more willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs the promise, the immutability, unchanging of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, things that cannot change. What's the first thing that cannot change? It's impossible for God to lie. Isn't that an awesome thought right there? God cannot lie. Can I lie to you? Yes. Can you lie to me? Yes. Can God lie? No. To immutable things which is impossible for God to lie, we, have a, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hopes up before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and that which entereth into the veil, whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We look here and we see the fact that God cannot lie to us. So the Bible teaches. So the Bible tells us in um, John chapter number Jesus said these words, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Can men lie? Yes. Can God lie? No. So what does that say? He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. John chapter number 10, verse 26 says, But ye believe not, because ye are not my sheep. As I have said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And look at what it says, I give unto them eternal life. Who does he give eternal life? His sheep. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So as a believer, you might fall and stumble, but you cannot fall from God. Does that make sense? It's what the Bible teaches. So this falling away is a stumbling that happens. We'll talk more about this here in a few minutes. We, the Bible tells us one last passage I want you to see about eternal security. Romans 8, starting in verse 28 through 39. Some of you are getting more Bible reading than you got all week this last week. And so, look at verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he, for whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, this is still talking about what God does. Whom he did for no, then he also did predestinate, then he called, then he also called, um, whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. So think about everything in salvation. He foreknew, he predestinates, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. Everything in salvation, God does. Right? And then look at the next verse. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? 
It's God that justifies. It's God who's the judge. It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemneth? Yea, it is Christ that died. Yea, rather, who is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Listen to what Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is tribulation going to do it? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? War? Is any of those things going to do it? It says, no, as is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for a slaughter. And he says, nay, and no, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I don't know, do you realize how important it is to know that you're secure in your salvation? We need to know in all these things we are more than conquerors. Not in ourselves, through him that loved us. And Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, and I know there's those that teach in Catholicism, suicide, if you're a Christian, you commit suicide, you, that's, you're going to be separated from God. The Bible says right here that neither death, now, is suicide a good thing? No. Is it sin? Yes, it's sin. Should not be done. But if you're a child of God, the Bible tells us here, and Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate a Christian from God's love. You cannot get out of God's hand. You are secure in his hand, and no man can pluck you out. Someday there will be those that fall away that were never saved and leave Christ because they never were saved. But this passage is not for the unsaved. This passage is for believers. And what happens is, remember how I was using the example earlier? We get saved, we grow, we backslide. It doesn't go past here. Why do many people think they got to get saved all over again? Because they don't realize what's happened. You know, and they, they're backsliding, they're fallen. They're like, if I'm really saved, I'm not going to, you are going to stumble. You got a just man falls seven times, riseth up again. Proverbs talks about that. And so as we look here, number one, can a Christian really be saved forever? The answer is yes, yes, yes. This passage was not that you could lose your salvation, because if you lost your salvation, you could never gain it back. This passage isn't for those who are almost saved, because the word's not apostasy. The word literally means to stumble. Do Christians stumble? Yes. And we're going to stumble. And so as we look here, can a Christian truly know that they're saved forever? Yes. Number two, second question from this passage. How can anyone crucify Christ again? Look at what the verse says. It says in verse 6, it says, Seeing then, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now when we think about the Lord, think about Jesus up on the cross, and you think about they had him stripped down, there was shame, wasn't there? The shame and reproach that he bore on the cross. There are some religions out there that feel that every time we sin, that we are crucifying him all over again. In fact, and you know, there are some churches, someone asked a while back, why isn't Jesus hanging on the cross in the church? You know why Jesus isn't hanging on the cross? Because he's not on the cross. And if we want to get real technical, if you've got Jesus hanging on your cross, that is real close to a graven image. That's real... You say, well, is that cross the graven image? Are you bowing to it? If you're bowing to it, I might take it out because I don't want you to bow to a cross. You shouldn't do that. Then it could be a graven image in your life. You know, it's like a nativity scene. Do you have a nativity scene or not? Are you worshiping it? 
And uh, if you're worshiping it, I would get rid of it if I were you. If you're not worshiping it, I think you'll be okay. But, you know, we think about in Catholicism, literally every time they have the Lord's Supper and that time happens, it's literally his blood. The Bible says he died once for all. So is Jesus literally dying on the cross again right now when you sin? No. It's been done. Sin has been paid for. He cried out on the cross. It is finished. When we think about this, though, so we look at that phrase and we look at what the Bible says here. It says, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Like, well, what is that saying? Let's use Peter for an example. Remember Peter? Good old Peter. Denies the Lord three times. Goes back to his old life. Goes back to doing what he was doing. Was he bringing glory and honor to the name of Jesus? Or was he bringing shame to his name? Shame. Hey, weren't you one of his followers? Yes! I am. No, no, no. No, me? I swear on my life, there's no way I followed that guy. You know other people around there had heard him be with Jesus. Is that being a good testimony for the Lord? Or is that being a bad testimony for the Lord? When we stumble, we are not literally crucifying him again on the cross, but we're bringing reproach and even as talked about in other places, bringing blasphemy to his name. You're giving others a, a, a time to bring that shame. You're a Christian? When we look at this, he doesn't crucify again. But our lives bring honor and glory to him? Or like as he was hanging there on the cross, they can bring shame to him. David is a great example of that. David, a man after God's own heart. You want to talk about, I'm doing a personal study for myself and comparing the two, David and Saul. Because God calls David a man after his own heart and David did some bad things. And Saul did a lot of bad things. Saul was rejected and David, through it all, got promoted. Say, so how can you balance those two? And the key is, David repented and got right with God. And Saul just blamed someone else for everything that happened. The repentance was part of it. And so the thing is, you look back in this verse, at verse number 6, if they shall fall away to renew them to repentance again. Now this is the thing. You can't, when you're sinning, do you want repentance? Do you want to change what you're doing? Think about David. Commits the sin with Bathsheba and all that takes place with her and then killing her husband. You know, and sometimes in our Baptist churches, this is just a little plug on the side. I've heard too many Baptists blame Bathsheba like she was some filthy girl and she shouldn't have been bathing out there. It was her fault that King David did what he did. I just want to help you out this morning. King David was supposed to be at war. He shouldn't have been there. There's a time that people would take baths and things like that. And my personal belief is that David technically raped her is my thought. He could, he's king. He could get her to do anything he wanted, right? He said, bring her to me. She came. I don't, I don't blame Bathsheba one bit for what David did to her. I put it all on David. 
And instead of, ex- instead of looking at men, men excusing their actions by what women do, men just need to own up for their own actions and not blame women for the, what they do. And yes, there are different circumstances and things where we've got to be careful with certain things, but this was David. It was all David. David went a long time between chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel without talking to God. You look at David's life, he's always talking to God. Scholars and people think it's about a year's time. Remember how Nathan the prophet came and he tells this story and David was ticked. And then Nathan says, you're the guy. He realized it. And he said, I've sinned against God. And he changed. When we're in our sin, you're not ready to repent. As the Spirit of God convicts us, there will come a point where you are ready to repent, and you should, and get going in the right direction again. So you can repent. When you fall away, you can repent. But when you're living in that sin, you're not bringing glory to God. You're bringing shame to his name. And so can anyone crucify Christ again? No, he died once, and that's all there is to it. So can someone truly be saved forever? Yes. Are, have you cruci- are we crucifying him again? No. Third question. Right? Is it possible to truly be a Christian and have no fruit? It's a good question right there. Many of my Baptist friends, I've got many that pastor in this, lo- in this area within 50-mile radius of our church. And I don't, I don't, even, I don't even call them friends anymore. I, I, don't even go, I don't go to their meetings. I do nothing with them. Because unless you show fruit in your life, you're not truly saved. That's their belief. And I just want to remind you this morning as we get to our last point, God never called you and I to be fruit inspectors. You're not a fruit inspector. You're supposed to witness and share and help grow fruit. You can't inspect it. God didn't call you to. Because only God truly knows what's on a heart. You and I don't. So you say, is it possible to truly be a Christian and have no fruit? Well, let's look at these two verses, and then we're going to think about a parable that Jesus gave, tie it all together, and go home. All right, here we go. Look at verse 7. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. And look at the next verse. But we are persuaded better things of you. Now, is this written to believers or to unsaved? Believers. The problem is we look at that word burn. Do you see that word there? In verse number 8, the end of verse number 8, do you see that there? It says the end is to be burned, and we immediately think of fire, hellfire. This isn't written to unsaved. This is written to believers. So put in context what the rest of the Bible says. The problem is, and be very careful to take one verse or two verses and make a whole doctrine out of two verses. The Bible always agrees with itself. And so if there's one verse that you're like, wow, I got a new doctrine, think it through. Talk to someone a little wiser than you and get their thoughts. It's a good thing to do. So we look there. We see the earth is mentioned. What is the earth? Ground. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the different soils? There was the sower sowed some seed on some fallow ground. 
There was some seed spread on some shallow ground. There was some seed spread on this ground, and there were thorns and thistles that grew up and choked out the life of it. And then there's the good ground, right? In that parable, after Jesus gave it, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, explain this to us. What are you talking about? Well, the seed is the word of God. And the word of God, and people have different interpretations of this. I get that. I'm going to give you what I believe it says, and then we're going to finish up here this morning. That first ground, the fallow ground, it says the birds come in and eat up the seed. And later on, he says that's the devil. He eats up the seed. If someone does not have, if their heart is hard and doesn't want God, and they hear the word of God given to them. And you all know you've had someone in your life that you've wanted to witness to and share God's word with, and they're hard, and you're trying to give them seed. And that seed, the Bible says about the fallow ground, it just gets taken out. That's an unsaved person. But the second type of ground, it says that it starts to, the seed starts to grow in shallow ground. Now, I am under the impression that for something to grow, it must have life, right? So I don't care if it grows to be a mature tree or if it grows just a little bit, it's life. Many Christians don't get past the shallow things, the elementary things in the Christian life because they don't dig their roots deeper and open up their heart to the deeper things of God. So when that shallow ground, the sun comes, remember how I gave you the example? You grow, go back, grow, and go back. You have those shallow roots with the Word of God. The hot sun in the summer scorches it. It shrinks, comes back, shrinks, and comes back. That's a perfect picture of how most Christians spend their Christian life in that shallow ground. You have the, the third type of ground, which has the thorns and thistles in it, Right? And that's someone where the seed is growing, but the cares of this life and their love for the things of this world choke out so that they can't grow to be what they should. And then you have the fourth type of ground that literally in that fourth ground, it's good soil and it grows to a mature plant. And for us, God wants us to have a good soil in our heart so that his word can grow and mature us and to be what he wants us to be. So look at this, look at these two verses. We're just about done. Hopefully I haven't lost you yet. You still with me? Do you have do you have more questions than answers to this point? I hope not. So we're just about done. Look at verse seven and eight, and here we go. It says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain. So February and March this year, was it pretty green outside? Wasn't it? All these these hills around us, they were nice and green. Are they green still? No. Because the water, the rain, to the ground brought growth. No water, no growth. The word of God and things is the water. So look at what it says here. For the earth which drinketh in the rain, that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, it bring, it's bear, it's bring forth fruit. Meat for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessings from God. That word blessing means reward. God blesses that that grows. Just like you and I. Do you, do you have any trees in your yard that have produced bad fruit? Do you keep the bad fruit in that tree? You probably get rid of the tree over time, right? We had in the church back here, we had a lemon tree that wasn't very good. And we got rid of it. Um... 
the orange tree like four years ago. I don't know what it was in the backyard. It had the oranges were super sour, and I'm like, I'm going to give it one more chance. Because normally every year, those oranges, those are the type of oranges you peel it and you're a mess from all the liquid everywhere. They are great oranges. And these ones were terrible. I'm like, I'm giving you one more chance. I, I looked at the tree. So you get one more chance. If you don't do good this year, you're done. And it's been doing good ever since again. And do you know what, I, what we've done with it? I try to make sure, and it's Ryan's tree now. I still take credit for it partially. But I will try and have the kids go out there and get rid of the old ones. We trim it at certain times. I make sure it's watered. I be good to the tree. If the tree's not bringing forth fruit, that thing can be chopped down. It can be taken away. There's lots of things there. So look at what it says. It says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Now, this is written to believers, so look at verse 8. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. So look at that. So we mentioned the ground that has the thorn and thistles already, right? That's the ground that is, that is growing, but the cares of this life and the love for this world choke it out. So, well, it's being burned. This is written to believers. Are we going to be burned in fire? No, but our works will be. 1 Corinthians chapter number, is it 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 15? Look at what it says right here. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built, thereupon he shall receive a blessing, a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, you see that there? He shall suffer loss. Oh, I'll lose my salvation. No. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what is this talking about? We talked about on Wednesday night, we're in the book of Revelation. I think it's so fitting that Wednesday night we're talking about casting our crowns at Jesus' feet. Literally, we talked about this last Wednesday night. And literally, someday we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we stand before God, we're not going to be judged on our sin. Because Jesus Christ took our sin and took our penalty. The great white throne judgment, people will be judged on their sin. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll be judged by our works. And they're going to be tried by fire. Wood, hay, and stubble, when they get put in fire, do they do well? No, they burn up. The motive behind what we do for the Lord and as we serve him. We talked about casting our crowns before his feet. You, as you Build and grow and let the word of God grow in you and grow you into a mature Christian. You will be blessed by God and you will have rewards to cast at his feet. But the author here says, don't be the Christian. that lets everything choke out your growth. And then when you stand before him, you will have nothing to give him. God has better things for you than to be wandering every day if you're saved or not. 
God has better things for you than living in your sin and staying fallen away. He has better things for you. God has a plan. And so when we look at this thought, can a saved person not bear fruit? Yes. John 15 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And that taking away doesn't mean he literally rips it out. It literally means he cleans it up. So a branch in him that bears not fruit. If you're in Jesus, you're saved. 